This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the hot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood or at 801 Lenora Street in Denny Triangle. And check out my interview with Meg on the podcast last year to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. I feel like there's often pressure with other women, you're seeing, you know, I'm working insane hours every week and you feel like you have to do the same to be successful. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I do think you have to be really smart about the time that you work and what you're able to accomplish. But I also think that at each time in everybody's life, there's going to be different phases. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey, podcast listeners. I hope you loved last week's chat with Dr. Marsha Morgan as much as I did and that you're on your way to setting goals that feel inspiring instead of dread-inducing. Quick update for you. I'm teaching one of my most popular online workshops again this Thursday, January 17th. It's called Eating for Vibrant Energy, and it's totally free. In the workshop, you'll learn the top foods that are sapping your energy and what to add to your diet for an immediate energy boost, how to identify your personal energy foods, and my favorite non-food ways to increase energy, including the single most overlooked reason for low energy. Go to laradolch.com slash workshops to save your seat in the Eating for Vibrant Energy workshop. It's happening this Thursday, January 17th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. I'd love to see you there. So today we're talking about self-awareness. You could call it mindfulness or presence, or as my client Tammy likes to call it, self-respect, because she's kind of over what she views as the cultural obsession with the word mindfulness. Whatever you call it, tuning into yourself, your body, your natural rhythms, your inner world gives you powerful clues to help you live a more intentional and satisfying life. Cultivating self-awareness is also a skill that most of us have to learn as adults. Unless you grew up doing yoga or with especially enlightened parents, you probably weren't asked very often, how does it feel when you eat spinach instead of cookies? When you play outdoors instead of indoors? When you do your homework at the last minute instead of two days before it's due? One of the most satisfying parts of my work as a coach is teaching my clients how to listen to their bodies, to connect the way they eat with their mood, for example, or the way they spend their time and with whom with their energy level. 
I do this with tools like the breakfast experiment, which I'll teach you in the Eating for Vibrant Energy online workshop, and with something I call the I need a break alarm. Here's the idea. Whether you know it or not, you have an I need a break alarm with you at all times, and it's designed to help you stay focused and productive. It's in your body. You just have to learn how to recognize it. What happens in your body when you're at your desk too long? Does your back or head ache? Do you begin to nod off? Does your mind start to wander to far off places? Do you, like me, find yourself staring at the computer screen for minutes at a time without actually doing anything? This week, pay attention to the physical symptoms that tell you it's time to step away from your desk. That's your I need a break alarm. Then, and this is key, get up. Go for a short walk. Talk to a coworker down the hall. Call a friend or family member to check in. Do something that gives your mind and body a chance to refresh and reset. According to one experiment, the most productive people take the most breaks. Not only that, but on average, they work for 52 minutes and take 17-minute breaks. So your challenge this week, identify your personal I need a break alarm and listen to it by taking 17-minute breaks more often. In this week's interview, I'm talking to Stephanie Scappa, co-founder and CEO of Wave, a platform that allows users to listen to music, read magazines, and soon listen to podcasts all in a single app experience. Stephanie shares how cultivating self-awareness transformed her personal and professional life. We also talk about the aha moment that caused Stephanie to finally prioritize self-care and what happened when she stopped trying to get everything done. Enjoy the interview. Stephanie, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I, you know, the topic of of today's chat or this week's episode is really around self awareness and tuning into your body and kind of using that information to make um, decisions not only about your self care but I think also about you know sort of your life and and keeping that perspective of curiosity as you do this. So I would love to just start by talking about how self awareness has contributed to your journey and your success. Yeah, for me, admittedly, I feel like it's so critical to my success and the way that my professional career and even my personal life has sort of evolved. I find that, you know, without self awareness and really that sort of ends up including self care, that I don't perform as well at work and I tend to pick fights at home and (laughs) I just in general am not really on my top of game moment if I'm not taking care of myself. And so over time, I've really learned that it's everything. I mean, without it, I can't be successful. Yeah. How did you figure that out? Like, what was the, was there a turning point where you're like, (laughs) oh, wait, I got to figure this out and actually start taking care of myself? There was. So when I first joined Altair and Wave, it was about seven or eight years ago now, And doing the dual roles right from the beginning really was sort of the moment of learning, I would say, because I immediately found myself overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And for me, a big part of my self-care is getting enough sleep. And so I've really learned over time that without sleep, it doesn't matter if I work twice as much, I'm half as productive and it ends up really not working well in the end at all. So 
that was really my turning moment of having to manage two jobs at the same time that require me to spend more of my time working. And I figured out that if I give in on my own self-care and I've over time sort of learned how do I manage and what's most important to myself, then I wouldn't have been able to survive. Do you have any specific stories? I think it's sometimes helpful to hear about like the reverse situation. Like, you know, was there a day or um, some kind of situation that happened as you moved into this dual role that really highlighted the importance of sleep, for example, since that seems to be the the big aha for you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So early on, I was sort of giving in and working much, much more than I should have and not sleeping. And so the specific example I can think of is my fiance and I were early in our relationship as well. And I had a little meltdown. (laughs) I mean, tears and all where I was just so underwater. I felt like I couldn't breathe at all. And, you know, he sat me down at the table and we sort of talked through it and talked about what was my stress. And for me, my stress at the time, it was really about work in that moment more so than anything on the personal side. Though, of course, you know, I've gone through similar issues on the personal side where, you know, I wasn't feeling like I could get everything done. And we sort of talked through, okay, I'm not going to get everything done. What does that mean? And how do I adjust accordingly for that? And really changing my perspective about that. Yeah. I love that. I love that realization too. I think that's so helpful because that shifting from focusing on productivity and getting everything done to, okay, I'm not going to get it all done. What happens now, I think is a shift that's really hard for high achieving women to make. What have you noticed since you kind of made that shift in mindset? Well, I notice I'm way more productive and I'm also a nicer person. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing that is going to sound strange, but I've also noticed that it's not always something that I can be consistent in. I mean, an easy example is literally this week, I was struggling because last week I had the stomach flu and then I was traveling over the weekend and I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't doing my usual self-care, which I can give you my whole philosophy around if you want. Totally. I woke up Monday and I was sort of down and not feeling like it. And I love my job. So one of the best indicators for me is if I'm really not feeling it, I know something is off and Mm. it sort of clues me in that I need to go to bed early (laughs) and I need to, you know, reorient myself a little bit. So I think, you know, you have to realize that, well, everybody wants to take care of themselves and do all the right things. And you may even know what those things are. It's not always something you can do. And, you know, that can also be on the personal side. If you, you know, just had a kid, you're not going to get enough sleep. And there's lots of challenges that you're going to face throughout your life. And the key is when those moments happen, that you sort of take a step back, you recognize it, and you do what you can to adjust accordingly, because it's not going to be a perfect world always. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that. That's a big piece of what I work with clients on is dropping that perfectionism because I think a lot of women are, not I think, I know, because I see it every day. (laughs) There's this all or nothing mentality around self-care often. Um, And that just basically puts you in a position where you, you know, yeah, you end up not doing anything. I want to back up a little bit though, because I definitely want to hear more about kind of what you've discovered about your 
what I would think of as your self-care non-negotiables is what I kind of call it. And obviously sleep is one of them. But talk to me a little bit more about your journey towards figuring out what those things were, right? So you've shared, you know, you had sort of a meltdown and, and recognized that sleep was one of them. What else contributed to you kind of learning how to tune into yourself to figure out what those things are? Yeah. So for a while, I was sort of guided to try meditation and I tried. It wasn't really something that I felt like worked as well for me because I sort of found if I'm sitting there in my own head with my eyes closed and not able to do anything, I'm stressing more. And so what I learned was actually I do better if I take that time to write down, it doesn't have to be on paper, but you know, all of my to-dos. And then I can visually see, okay, what do I need to get done? And actually my one productivity tip that I was given actually by my father, and it's what I truly live by is you look at your list and each day you pick your top three that you're going to get done. And that's what you get done. And that way, there's always going to be things that fall off the table. But the things that fall are the things that are not prioritized and the things that you are recognizing you're not going to get to. And so that for me was one of the most critical habits I had to learn. And it took time. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, a an experiment I ask a lot of my clients to run. And it, it creates a lot of anxiety up front to say, wait, you want me to choose three? <laughs> <laughs> out of a hundred. Yeah. And as you mentioned, what, you know, what tends to happen is that it just, you know, you get really clear on what must happen. Um, and the, you know, you sort of exercise your prioritization muscles as it were. Um, so, so keep talking about that. So journaling, it sounds like is part of how you developed that self-awareness that that tool worked better for you than meditation. What else, what other tools have you figured out, help you cultivate that? Awareness. Yeah, so I'm not like an exercise freak, but I do think that getting outside and, you know, getting your heart rate up, even if it's not every day or every other day, I go hiking. I live out in California in the Bay Area, and so I have a dog who likes to run, <laughs> and I take him out there hiking at least once a week for a couple of hours. And to me, that just sort of gives me time to think and clear my head, but also gets my blood moving and sort of, I find it relaxes me in the end. What would you say to someone who says, there's no way I have two hours to take my dog for a walk? Go for 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. You and I are on the same page. Work with what you've got a hundred percent. Yeah. So what happens to you on the days or the weeks that you maybe don't do that? So when it rains, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of getting soaked. And what I find is that I get sort of pent up a little bit where I'm a little bit more on edge and more stressed. And I have to cope with that in a different way. And that might mean that I take the time to do a little bit more reading or trying to stay in my head because I really believe you have to step back from execution mode always where you're, yes, you're being productive and getting things checked off your to-do list, but you also have to have some time in your day to just think. And without that time, I, I really feel like I can't move forward somehow. And so 
it's so important if I don't go hiking to just make that time anyways to spend it thinking. And it could be thinking, accomplishing things for work. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm just sitting here doing nothing, but I need that moment of sort of peace. Yeah. Creating that white space, I think is so important. And it's so funny. I can totally relate to your, that feeling of sort of pent up, you know, energy that happens when you don't do those things, when you don't, whether, whether it's exercise or creating that space in some other way. I actually, the other day was um, just pushing too hard. And I ended up with like 15 minutes to like go for a quick run before a client call. And I just did it because I was going nuts. (laughs) And it made me a much better and more present coach when I finally came back. Um, And I think, you know, for any professional, whether it's coaching or whatever, however you're showing up for people, you know, creating that white space is part of your work is the way that I kind of look at it for sure. What other habits have you noticed help you um, stay in this place? We've talked about sleep. We've talked about taking your dog for a walk, creating that white space. What else is part of your self-care routine? So I'm a morning person and I work with Europe also. So I start my meetings at 6 a.m. And what I find is that I can't do meetings also late in the evening. And so I have to find that balance. I'm up really early in the morning. I'm working throughout the day, but then there has to be sort of that cutoff point for me. And so right around, you know, seven, eight o'clock, I'm absolutely checked out. And usually I'm checked out before then, but, you know, I, I have to make that time to make sure I'm getting some food, <laughs> relaxing for a little bit, and going to bed. And so that's really the key for me, I found is figuring out what time of day I'm most productive, which is by far the morning. And I take advantage of that time rather than trying to push myself to be slightly less productive throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, th- I like to call that biological prime time. I didn't make up that. I don't even know where I came from. <laughs> I, I like it though. Up, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. And sort of trying your best to work with your biological prime time for work, for exercise. Um, in fact, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book, but I think it was Dan Pink who wrote it. I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Pink, but a book about sort of the science behind when our brains are best sort of prime to do certain types of tasks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And some of it is individual, but some of it is also kind of universal. I'll, I'll look that up and put it in the show notes, but it's sort of what you're talking about. And, and again, it's all about self-awareness, right? It's all about you recognizing that that is part of who you are. Um, and also you've got a, a job that requires you to be up early. So, you know, um, yep. that did actually, I'm curious about that. Do you think you were a morning person anyway, or do you think that you're, because your job demands that you're up so early that you kind of had to become one? Yeah, I'm a morning person anyway. And so I could start at seven or eight technically for my job. I could push it back and say, you know what, I'm just not willing to start that early. And my boss actually tells me all the time that I don't have to start it as early as I do. But for me, I find that I do so much better because right around, you know, three, four o'clock, my brain starts to check out a little bit. And so usually what I'll do is I'll work until, you know, three o'clock ish. And then that would be when I like take the dog for an hour hike and I might come back and get back on for a couple more hours before the end of the day. But what I really find is that I can't do evening. So yeah, 
I'm definitely a morning person. <laughs> yeah, you know, that makes me think about sort of the difference between um, the amount of hours that we put in versus what we're doing. And can you talk to me a little bit about that? And I think it plays into this whole idea, this cultural obsession that we have with, you know, hustle and increasing productivity at all costs. What do you notice about uh, the number of hours that you, or so maybe you have days where you don't work as many hours, but you do certain things. Like how does that work for you? How do you create that balance? And what do you find to be the most helpful way to think of that? Yeah. So for me, I really don't like the concept of work-life balance. And the reason is that I find balance is rarely possible. And so for me, I think of it more as a blend because some days I'm on my A game professionally and my C game personally, and it sort of ebbs and flows day to day, year to year. So for me, I really feel like I can put in extra time right now and I'm working crazy number of hours right now, but that's not sort of how I imagine my future. And so the way I've always thought about it is more that it's okay for me to do this. It's just a phase though. It's not going to be my plan for the future. And, you know, I've actually, with my fiance, we've agreed that this is the priority we want to set right now. It doesn't mean that this is forever and we've agreed it's not. And so I feel like there's often pressure with other women you're seeing you know, I'm working insane hours every week and you feel like you have to do the same to be successful. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I do think you have to be really smart about the time that you work and what you're able to accomplish. But I also think that at each time in everybody's life, there's going to be different phases and we should be appreciating that and talking about that. I feel like there's often sort of this natural pressure of you have to be up at four in the morning and working, you know, 14 hour days in order to really be the best in the industry and so forth. And I think it's not necessarily fair (laughs) because what you don't see is that many of these women also have phases where that's not the case. And so you have to sort of find what is the right balance for you and what's the right blend between work and spending time with family. That's right. Yeah. Well, and also what you were talking about as far as, you know, just the choosing only three things a day, for example, to prioritize, like that's probably, I would guess, and certainly this is true for me, when I do that, when I'm very clear about what my priorities are, it means that I probably have to put in less hours, less time to actually get those things done, right? Because I'm clear, I'm not distracted all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that you, yeah, that that getting up at 4am thing, there's so many, like there's another article this week about, you know, the most successful people get up at 4am. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know that that's necessarily true or or they're not prioritizing well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or it's a phase and, you know, it's, they're going to do it for a short period of time. I don't think you can survive at that level for an extended period of time. And so I think of it, you know, really as you're changing phases in your life over time and you have to figure out, you know, what phase you're in and how far you want to push that phase. Because I totally agree that there's only so many hours in a day that you're really productive and on the top of your game. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What is that for you? I'm curious. What do you think that number of hours is for you? Like, what have you noticed? Again, we're talking about like tuning in, right? Like how many hours do you think in a day you actually are what you would consider productive in that traditional way? I think it's usually somewhere between 10 and 12 for me. And the key to that though, is that I have to break it up. I'm not productive 10 to 12 hours straight. So I'm usually pretty productive for the first six hours. And then I sort of need a little bit of a break. And then I can be productive in smaller increments going forward. And they sort of wane down. (laughs) The later you get in the day, the shorter time I can spend focused and being productive at a time. That's actually, I'm surprised. That seems like a lot, 10 to 12 hours. Do you include things like your exercise and your journaling and your walk with the dog in that chunk of time? Are you talking about time that you're literally like, you know, at work doing your thing? Usually at work doing my thing, but okay. So one of the differences, let's say, is I work from home. And so for me, you know, I can go for six hours straight undisturbed at home in my day and then it's noon. So it's not that late in the day. It doesn't feel that late. And then, you know, I can empty the dishwasher and do some laundry and sort of take a break a little bit on the professional side and be productive more on the personal side. And I'm in a very unique situation that's so flexible. And I'm really thankful for that. But that's part of why I feel like I can be so productive is because some of the things that weigh on me from a personal perspective that sometimes get in the way of me being that productive over the long run, I can get done. And then I'm not thinking about them and worrying about them and I can get back to being focused again. And then usually it just sort of depends on you know how far I can stretch it. But I think because I get up so early, I have a little bit more flexibility on that side, maybe. Mm -hmm. What time do you go to bed? At like eight o'clock. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, it's got to be early for sure. Yeah. And it's a huge priority for me because my whole bedtime routine is a big part of it. You know, I get ready for bed really early. I get in bed. I read my book because I want to spend time you know, with my brain somewhere else. And so I read fantasy and sci-fi. I don't really do the whole nonfiction at night because I want to not think about my day-to-day stuff. I want to be really in another world. And that's sort of how I unplug. And sometimes I only read a page before I fall asleep. (laughs) Yeah, totally. What are you reading right now? I love fantasy and sci-fi stuff too. So I literally just started a book and I only got one page in, (laughs) but it's called Hyperion. And the last one I was reading was American Gods, um, but I just started Hyperion and it was a recommendation and I have honestly no idea what the book is about because I haven't gotten very far, (laughs) but I'm hoping I'll learn more tonight. (laughs) Nice. I love it. So do you think that successful women and women leaders have a responsibility to other women and and girls coming up to be a self-care role model? Yes, absolutely. Because I think that it's so important, not just for women, but across the board as people are learning new habits, we should be helping each other. I mean, for me, if my father hadn't guided me in sort of the strategy that he uses in how to be 
productive and organized and prioritized the tasks, I wouldn't be where I am today. It would have taken me years, if not decades, maybe to learn sort of some of those best practices. And I want to give that back and pay that forward, so to speak, with others that are going to come in and help us as a society be more productive. And again, I think people, you know, are always comparing themselves to others in the industry and seeing, you know, most successful people get up at four in the morning, but that doesn't have to be you. I mean, you can be the most successful person and set a different schedule, do something different. And just because I can be really productive for a long period of time doesn't mean I'm working every day 10 or 12 hours. It just means that I know I can if I need to push myself. But you have to really think about how it impacts other people, I think. Otherwise, you know, we're all sort of going to turn into zombies working all the time, not enjoying life. <laughs> yeah. Again, just sort of taking that, you know, advice as it were and, and applying it to your own situation. And, and again, cultivating that self-awareness to do that. What would you say, you know, for my listeners who kind of want to begin increasing their self-awareness, where would you tell them to begin? I think the first place to begin is just to take some amount of time to sit, not be on your phone, not have the TV or radio on, and just to think and be a little bit more inside your own head. And it can be 15 minutes if that's all you have right now. And just think a little bit and pay attention to sort of the emotions that are happening and decide a little how to take that first step forward. You have to make sort of this first judgment call of what's the first tip I want to test and see if that works for me. Because I've tried tons of different productivity tips and they don't all work. You have to figure out what works for you um, and what's best. So some people, well, the top three items each day really works for me. Other people find that it makes them super stressed and instead they'd rather get some of those things off their plate and think about it differently. And that's okay if it works. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's right. It's a back to what I was saying earlier about looking at things. Everything is an experiment. And and that's sort of one of the the frameworks that I use with my clients, whether that's, you know, an experiment about what kind of food to eat, what kind of exercise to do, how to be more productive, whatever it is, it's always an experiment and you're, you're just collecting data and yep. being able to decide what works for you and what doesn't is, is super important. Where can people best connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? LinkedIn, definitely. <laughs> awesome. I'll put that link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This was really great. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Oh,